When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. This is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Peter Donegan. It's that time of the week again. Great to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today we're celebrating the life of a man who for a decade was a huge presence at the famous Melbourne Football Club. His name is Rodney Grinter and he's with us in the studio. Rod, welcome. G'day, Pete. Thanks very much for having me. How are you going? You're looking well, mate. Yeah, going okay. Um, getting older. I'm getting called a foss now, so uh, <laughs> time does fly. It was a long time ago when I uh, pulled on the boots. It does go very quickly, doesn't it? It just yeah. seems like yesterday that I was watching you running around with those beautiful kicking skills. That's one thing I always thought about you. Mm-hmm. You disposed of the footy beautifully. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that everybody remembers about me is just all of the negative stuff, the getting reported and mm. um, missing so many games of footy rather than the um, the skills that uh, I was able to bring to the game. But, you know, that was all brought on by me, of course. So um, you've just got to roll with that. We'll talk a bit about that <laughs> later on. I'm sure, I, I'm sure you thought yep. that we would. Yep. Um, but what are you doing these days? What's your involvement in footy these days? Yeah, look, for the last 20 years, I've been involved um, with St. Kevin's College, the um, private school in Turak, been assistant coaching there. Um, so this year, 2020, will be um, the first year since I was five that I won't be either playing or involved in a coaching capacity. Uh, so I've, I've retired from coaching at the school. Um, so this year, my involvement will be I'm chairman of Melbourne's Past Players. Um, so organising get-togethers and things to try and support past players. Um, and obviously going along to as many Melbourne games as I can this year. Why are you not involved? Is it choice? Have you just had oh, yeah, enough? Yeah, no, look, I, I've, um, the game's changed so much since since I was playing. Um, and you've got young kids at, at, at the school level that are that are elite kids. There's a lot of elite kids that go through um, the APS system. Um, and really, um, 20 years, I thought, you know, I wanted to get to 20. And once I got there, the motivation to continue on just wasn't there. So it was a it was a uh, an amicable decision between me and the school. Uh, we always said right from the get-go if that they weren't happy with what I was contributing and vice versa, we would shake hands and walk away and that's how it was at the end of last year. 
Over that 20-year journey, you would have seen a lot of talented kids coming up through the ranks. Before you talk names, uh, some of the people who might have graduated from that class, have you seen the motivation of young people change over that 20-year period? Because we often talk about the fact that you know, they spend half their time on computer games or inside. Is the passion still there for footy at the top level amongst the kids coming through the ranks? Definitely at the top level, absolutely. They, um, they're they very motivated. Those that have that know they've got the ability to really make a fist of their career in AFL footy, let's say, um, are very dedicated and motivated. Um, you know, St Kevin's uh, private school go down from the firsts to the sixths. So they've got the first 18, second 18, thirds, fourths and fifths and sixths. If you went down to the fourth, fifth and sixth, you could probably say that, look, it's just for, um, you know, they're just having a bit of fun, kicking the footy mm. around. Their dedication to the, to the sport would be nowhere near the, the level that the, the first 18 are at. Or, you know, there's probably 30, 30 kids that are really motivated to do well at the first 18 at St. Kevin's. And then obviously to promote themselves to hopefully get a gig in the in the AFL. What about the trickle-down effect, Rod? Everything that happens at the top level trickles down in some ways. Um, kids um, idolise their heroes and they do things their heroes will do on the footy field. But what about from a, an administrative point of view? Everything in footy is pulled apart at the top level these mm-hmm. days. Does that come down to school level as well? Is everything analysed there with videos and, and yeah. player cuts and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I don't think we go to the level of cutting uh, videos, but we certainly video all the games. Um, and it all comes back to time, um, availability of time to be able to sit down and analyse uh, a game and then be able to sit in front of the the players and go through, um, you know, we could have done better here or we should have went this way, whatever, whatever the conversation may be. But yes, we do video uh, and that's all done by the coach. So not that the coach is videoing. Um, the video gets done by a student and it's part of his curriculum, if you like, that he uh, he might want to get into um, into the media and um, behind the camera or whatever. So he's he's videoing videoing the game for us. That then goes to the coach on a on a USB at the end of the game, and then the coach will analyse that over the weekend or um, early in the week whenever he can, and then he'll have a meeting with the players on on the Monday to review the game. Um, just to verbalise his thoughts on the game and then to pull out some stuff on the video. In that 20-year period, who are some of the talents that you've had in your tutelage? Well, my memory's not great, but just of recent times, there's um, uh, Jordan DeGoe at Collingwood, um, Took Miller up at the Gold Coast. Um, uh, oh, who else has there been? There's, there's quite a few. I just... Off the top of my head, there are two that come to mind. Um, was Dugowie as commanding a presence as he was coming up through the schoolboys' ranks as he's turned out to be now at AFL level? Um, look, at school, he was um, – at year 10, normally if a, if a person is um, have got some real ability, in year 10 they could be playing senior football at the school. Um, now, Jordan was good enough to play senior football at the school at, at a year 10 level, but decided to play with his mates at year 10, didn't want to come up and play in the – in the first, but then when you get to year 11, you're either in the first or the seconds. And then he played first from year 11 and year 12 and was one of our gun players. There's no doubt about that. Um, in terms of the way that he, um, is playing at an AFL level now is, uh, he's developed enormously and is a superstar of the game. 
Would you find it difficult not to have a hands-on involvement in footy in the fact that you won't be coaching or, or guiding people? Is that going to be a bit of a wrench for you after doing it for so long? You said it was five years old. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I think when I finished playing league football, when it was time, when I was told that it was time to hang hang them up from an AFL point of view, like you hear a lot of players now when they retire, it's a huge weight lifted off your shoulders um, because of that expectations of you to perform every week, training, especially now where they're there six days a week. Um, so for me, once the decision was made to not be involved in any official capacity from a uh, coaching or uh, administrative point of view, it was like, well, wow, I've got my weekends back. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want on the weekend. I can go to the footy if I want to. I don't have to be here at a certain time. So I th- from that point of view, it was... Um, it was, uh, I'm looking forward to just being normal, if you like. Mm. I reckon one thing that you would be pretty pleased about from your playing days to now is they didn't have social media in your day. <laughs> yeah, true, and I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Might have attracted the odd comment or yeah, two. Yeah, I reckon. Uh, what are you doing for a crust these days? Um, salesperson. I've always been in sales, uh, even when I was playing footy. Um, when I was playing, we, we all had jobs, so uh, I didn't have a career per se, so I... My career was my footy, so I focused really um, on my footy and dedicated myself to that. And then when footy finished, that's when the oh shit comes. Um, What am I going to do? So I was going to be a coach. I went down to Tasmania and coached down there for three years Um, and realised then that this wasn't going to be able to put enough bread and butter on the table to feed my family. So got into into sales. I worked for Coca-Cola. So I was in the beverage industry for, for probably 20 years. And then the last six years, I've been working for a stock feed company called Ridley, uh, who their brands are Barristock, Cobber and Rumovite. So we manufacture and sell um, uh, feed to dairy farmers, to chook farms, to backyarders, to um, anyone and everyone. Uh, We manufacture every feed except that feeds everything except for birds and uh, birds and cats. Mm. One of the good things is that State of Origin is going to be resurrected because they're playing the bushfire game and all of the sports, all of the yep. big sports have come to the party, but yeah. it'll be nice to see State of Origin back. Yeah, the big V out there will be. It'll be fantastic. And hopefully, you know, it's, a, it's early in the year, so the boys will be ready to um, to show off their um, the fitness and what they've been working hard at since probably, you know, October, November last year. So hopefully they'll have a real crack and it's not a Mickey Mouse sort of game, they, they get in and have a go. Did you get to wear the big V? No, unfortunately not. I trained, I, I made the squad one year, I think it might have been 87 or 88, um, was was able to train with, uh, you know, Gary Ablett and Tony Lockett and Dunstall uh, out at Waverley, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't uh, make the team, but got in the squad once, which was pretty good. It was big back in those days, huge. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. huge. You know, you know, they talk about the way that they train and play, now where they've got to have so much rest, like you will remember that we, when I was playing, we played on a Tuesday night, the, um, yeah, the night competition. I remember them uh, well out yeah, at Waverley. Out at Waverley, yeah. freezing cold and muddy, uh, muddy and wet. Uh, and then we'd, we'd back up and play on, um, on the weekend. Um, but yeah, things have changed. Obviously the, the toll that's put on 
the players now and their physical um, makeup is a lot different to what it was when I was playing. I do remember those days at Waverley very well because uh, the great Jack Edwards and I used to share the boundary duties at some of those matches and we would have a little bet at the start of the night to see who would lose feeling in their feet first <laughs> because it did get quite chilly out there yeah, in the middle of winter. It did, it did. I remember one, uh, one day I, w- I pulled on a long sleeve jumper because it was a bit chilly and I got criticised by um, one of the past strong men of the Melbourne Footy Club that um, it's a sign of weakness wearing a long sleeve jumper just because it's a bit cold. So I never wore a long sleeve after that. <laughs> Who would that past uh, strong man be? Ah, uh, Shane Zantuck. <laughs> uh, right. okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's go back to the start of the journey. And it all began at a little place called Katandra. That's right, Katandra West. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, been, um, so not Katandra, Katandra West. Yeah, it's, that's right. So you've got is, to differentiate. Yeah, because there is Katandra and there's obviously Katandra West. So Katandra West is a very um, sporting little town. Uh, it was a dairy farming area um, when I was growing up. It's it's dry as buggery now. Um, mm. And there was probably 50 little dairy farms in the area when I was growing up there. There's probably now four or five. So they just it was unsustainable from a water point of view, the cost of the water to keep the um, uh, the paddocks green and for the feed for the cows. So, uh, so it's changed a lot, um, but it's a very big sporting um, sporting town. Uh, the current coach of Carlton comes from Katanga West, David Teague. Yeah, uh, David's a cousin of mine. Um, my mother's maiden name is Teague. Right. Uh, so my mum Jessie is um, a cousin of Jeff Teague, which is David's dad. So uh, that's a pretty big thing for a town to be able to produce someone who's played as many games as you did at Melbourne and also Teague in his decorated career. He's yep. made a good fist of the coaching job. He's a, he's a very studious man as far as football is concerned, but he's got the players playing for him too. Yeah, look, he's he's been in the assistant coaching role for uh, you know, 10 or 11 years, 12 years, and he's. I was talking to his dad a few years ago and his ambition was to become a senior coach. Um and he was doing the he was he was set to do the uh, level four uh, coaching accreditation, which you get invited to do. Um, and I said to Jeff, I said one of the things that David needs to do is to try and become more relevant or more recognisable because he's been an assistant coach for ten or eleven years. And nobody knows who David Teague is. Mm. Uh, then when the thing happened with Bolton last year, and he gets the Guernsey to be the um, uh, the fill-in coach. Well, all of a sudden he gets that recognition and people start to know who he is and, and the players obviously were playing for him and he, good on him, he, he got the gig. So this young fellow's kicking it around at Katandra West. That's you, not T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who were you barracking for when you were a kid? Richmond. Right, oh. Who, was, yeah. who were your idols oh, at that look, stage? Jeff Raines and Roach, like all, all of those blokes that, um, um, yeah, the, the, my grandfather, George uh, Grinder, um, played a few reserves games for Richmond going way back. Um, so you all had to have a team. So my dad obviously followed Richmond, so I followed Richmond. But my um, my focus and my ambitions were to play uh, senior football with Katandra. That was that was where I was focused on. The, the VFL back then was something that you watched on the telly. It was never anything that I thought I'd ever, ever get involved in. And um, so I played uh, the midgets, um, as a young fellow and then progressed from the midgets straight into the first. So I was 15 um, playing senior footy with Katandra, which I did for a couple of years, which was awesome. 
when you're 15 and you're playing against men, you have to grow up pretty quickly because they don't take any prisoners on the footy field in most cases. No, and I think um, one of, my attitude towards my footy was always that, you know, there's 17 other blokes on the footy field, so how, you know, who's going to hurt you really? Um, so I never took a backward step. I was a cheeky 15-year-old. I find that imagine. hard to believe. <laughs> Very hard to believe, Rob. So you gave as good as you got. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. When did the aspiration change then? So you, all you want to do is play for Catandra West. Yeah. But clearly you're pretty good at it. So who came along and said, you can go further than this young fella? Um, yeah, the Melbourne Footy Club was zoned to that area. Uh, I think it used to be Geelong because uh, the Camerons, um, uh, the Hockings uh, from Cobram um, and the Barneses from Cobram. And Catandra was zoned to Geelong, I think the year or two before, I I don't know how it worked because um, um, Stephen Hocking was captain of the Golden Valley Schoolboys team, which I played in, uh, so him and I are the same age, but he was zoned to Geelong and, and Katandra was zoned to Melbourne. So anyway, what the Melbourne Football Club had was the Norm Smith squad, which was a squad that they uh, pulled people from their zone into Shepparton once a week to do a training session. So these are all kids that are 14, 15, 16. Um, and from there, they uh, they picked a Norm Smith squad team from our zone to come down to Melbourne and play against another Melbourne's um, team that Ray Jordan was involved in. Um, so I was going into training with that. Gary Lyon was involved in that. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, uh, come down and played in this in this game out at Waverley and Ray Jordan said to me after the game, would you be interested in coming down and playing with the under-19s at Melbourne because we had the under-19s back then. And I was a bit hesitant to be, uh, to be honest. I was um, a country boy, didn't know much about the big smoke and it was a long way away from home. Um, but, uh, yeah, moved down uh, and um, – he played a year and a half in the under-19s and the other half was in the seconds because um, Slug was coaching both the first, uh, the under-19s and the seconds. So when he worked out wh- which team was going to be the uh, the one likely to play in the finals and, and go the furthest, he stacked that team. So there was times when I played in the seconds um, outside of the under-19s because he might have been wanting to put a better player in the under-19s or however it worked. But in 1983, we played in the premiership. Um, with the under-19, so that was pretty good. And it was all the start of a great journey in football, and we'll explore more of that journey when we come back on the other side of the break. Rod Grinter is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You plenty more with Rod coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Can he make it five? It's bouncing. It's there. It's a goal. Five goals to Grinter. And the Gracemans stand erupts. Hughes gone short. Down his teammate too. And this will be a shot by Grinter. Well, Grinter is within distance. About 50 metres it'd be. Take a good kick. What is it? It's a Melbourne goal for mine. But his hand pass comes back to Ward Grinter. Grinter in all sorts of bother. Broke the tackle, got a left hand, a left foot to the lead. And he's kicked another one. Lucky kicked it. Should have gone for a hand pass. 
But he broke the tackle well, saw the goals in his sight, let fly it, another good goal to Melbourne. Well, I'll tell you what, he'd be straight off the ground if he hadn't have kicked it because Helen Johnson was standing on his own, screaming for the hand pass. Don't tell me you scorched someone, Rod. <laughs> Rod Grinder is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives, a family-owned business for more than 34 years, Tobin Brothers. So you scorched Alan Johnson, did you? Yeah, I, yeah well, you know, not very often I do that, but obviously um, I might have kicked one or two already and yeah. I'll have a bit of a day out here. Hey, we talked about Jack Edwards with me sitting on the boundary line. That was Jack's voice yeah, on a yeah. couple of the highlights yeah. and um, Peter Landy calling the day where you kicked five goals at the MCG and I think you gave one of your teammates a bit of a slap <laughs> after that, didn't you? Yeah, look, that was I think that was my third game um, against Carlton and um, Bobby Withers. So I'd... Yeah, obviously got on the end of a few and um, that was my fifth one and I was very excited obviously and everybody comes up to sort of pat you on the back and we were doing high fives, low fives and then I just took a left-handed swipe to give him the... (laughs) Yeah, slap across the back and hit him across the head. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wug him up. Uh, let's turn the clock back to even before those moments and, and the first time that you go into the senior team at Melbourne. One of the things that I love finding out from my guests is how they felt when they walked into the dressing room and saw some of the people they'd been watching on television, perhaps mm. idolising. Mm. What was that moment like for you? Yeah, look, you obviously get to spend a fair bit of time with all of these players because you, you've done your pre-season training and... Uh, for me, uh, it was, um, I think it was about round two or three in 85 that I got uh, the call up to, to play. And it was against Hawthorne out at Princess Park. Um, and it was about 40 degrees. It was really hot. Uh, I do remember that. Um, and look, you know, I'm, I'm playing with um, Brian Wilson, Brownlow medalist, Robbie Flower, one of the all-time greats. Um and yeah, to be to be to be running around and and then playing against Hawthorne, who had you know Tucky and uh, Platten and all these guns, Dunstall. Um, uh, it is surreal, um, but you soon uh, get put back to reality pretty quickly. You go out and you 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 do the warm up. So the warm up is a lot different to what it is these days. We used to go out. Uh, the coach would give you the pre match address and then. You'd run out into the ground as a group and you'd do your warm-up on the ground and then you'd go out into your positions pretty much. Um, And because this was my first game, um, before the warm-up had finished, I was buggered. I was absolutely knackered trying to get as many touches (laughs) as I could in the warm-up. And then I lined up on a a half-forward flank um, on Gary Ayres. And I reckon if... um, I had have marked every mark that I went for. I would have taken about 12 or 15 marks in the game, <laughs> um, but I probably clunked one or two. Um, and then one of the things that we, we sort of – the word was that if you get a game, you'll, Barass will give you two because Barass was the coach, um, Ron Barassi. So uh, I thought, I'm going to play two VFL games, you know. So playing my first game, I thought I did okay. Um, but then um, – I get the call up on the Thursday night that um, I'm dropped. Brass gives you two games to prove yourself. but So anyway, that was okay. So I go back to the twos and play right in the twos and get promoted again the following week. So my first year I played played 11 games um, and then my second year I played 11. So I was in and out, in and out. I was never really a regular. And then um, 87 was the year that I sort of really established myself. 
And it was a year where the club established itself as well as a power because they were building and they were getting there. And then there was that famous day at Waverley. Mm. Now, everybody talks about Gary Bacanara's involvement mm-hmm. and everybody talks about the late Jim Stein's involvement. Mm-hmm. You were involved too, weren't you? Yeah, it was um, It was an unbelievable game. Like um, Hawthorne were the team that were, um, you know, had superstars everywhere. Melbourne were a young and up and coming team that had a couple of superstars, but not um, not as many as Hawthorne. But we were on a real roll that year, um, and I, and I actually missed the first uh, two finals um, because surprisingly I was out suspended. So it was the first really? time the first time Melbourne had made the final since 1964, and here I am, a 22 year old. Um, they're playing okay and uh, against the West Coast Eagles in round 20, uh, 20 or 21, whatever it was, I get reported and I get three weeks. Who is uh, your clock? Um, Waterman, Chris Waterman. Yeah, muddy. Um, so missed three weeks. I'm thinking my season's over. Um, but uh, trained as I did always really hard and when um, on the Saturdays I always went with the fitness advisor and we'd do an hour and a half workout before the play, before they played and then sit there and watch them play and then watch the first two finals and we won them by, you know, 100 points, both finals against North and Sydney. So I think, I'm not sure which order it was, but it was um, the, the the third game that I'd missed and we're smashing them by 50, 60 points. So at half time I left, went home and ran 10K, thought I'm now available. Uh, trained really hard that week and then there was a massive um, debate at uh, team selection on the Thursday night. Um, I'd trained the house down. I was super fit. Um, who do we drop to bring Grinter in uh, for the prelim? Um, and I talked, I've obviously talked to Robbie Flower about this and Greg Healy. Greg Healy was our captain. Robbie was on the match committee and Robbie says it was him that gave me the nod and Greg says it was him that gave him the nod. But anyway, I got, got in. I played in the forward pocket on Airsie, kicked two goals, Things were going Melbourne's way. We kicked with the wind in the first quarter, with the wind in the second, with the wind in the third. And then um, the final quarter, things started to go Hawthorne's way. And John Northey, who was our coach, started making changes. And I was playing forward and I was all year had been playing back. Uh, so he moved me from the forward line onto Gary Bacanara in their forward line. So Stephen Newport had been tagging Bacanara. But Bacanara... Uh, Jeansy had put Bucky, no, it wasn't Jeansy, it was... Um, uh, who Alan feel? Joyce. Yeah, Joyce moved um, Bucky deep forward. So uh, Swooper sent me on to Bucky and then there was several, probably three opportunities during that last quarter where all we needed to do was kick a goal and the game was out of reach, but we kicked points. They'd go down and kick a goal and there was late in the game. Um, I think it was Tony Campbell uh, missed... Um, Ball gets kicked in straight down the middle to Tucky. Bucky led. I'm chasing Bucky. Tripped over his feet. Pushed him in the back. Free kick right on the 50. And while you're reliving that, let's relive this. (laughs) Hawthorne have to come all the way down the ground. 26, 28 and a half minutes have gone. Alan Jeans has a close look at the situation. A long kick taken by Swab. Plays on. Langford comes out with the ball. Drives it down.
Melbourne Grand Final. If he misses, Melbourne are in. There's the kick. It's a goal. It's a goal. Hawthorne have won with a kick after the siren. What a performance. A magnificent performance this by Hawthorne. Do your guts twist when you hear that? Yeah, goosebumps. Um, everything can just um, go from being uh, the opportunity to play in a grand final taken away in the last 10 seconds, five seconds of the game. Um, was super disappointing. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, people don't realise that the crowd was going bananas, which you could imagine the 70,000, 80,000 out at Waverley and uh, we're in front all day and then Hawthorne are coming and coming quickly. So the crowd was going nuts. Um, the free kick that I gave to Bucky, um, uh, as soon as the free kick was given, the siren sounded. So, But nobody could hear the siren out in the ground. So I'm standing on the mark, the umpire's not far from me and um, Dipper runs around the wing because um, he couldn't hear the siren. So he's calling for the ball to get closer to goal off Bucky and Jimmy Steins is in the middle of the ground, sees Dipper all on his own, so runs shortest way to Dipper, which unfortunately was between me and Bucky, which is a 15-metre penalty. So he gets that little bit closer. So he would have been kicking from 55 if there was no 15-metre penalty. Would he have kicked it? Well, he says when he's talking to Melbourne people, um, yes, he would have uh, either way. Um, but he, he does say that it, there would have been that extra effort to get that extra distance so who knows you'll never know but being that 15 meters closer he was able to sort of just take a nice steady kick rather than one that needed a bit more distance so yeah look it was um gut-wrenching uh, coming off the ground after that gosh imagine what would have happened because bucky hasn't heard the siren and he sees dipper yes and he kicks the ball after the siren yes imagine what would have happened then yeah. because the umpire would have come did the umpire hear the siren no no so the umpire hadn't heard the siren well so that could have been that would have played on yeah. would have been you know mark and dipper would have had a shot might have been another silent siren game <laughs> like we had down in tassie <laughs> all those right. years that's ago that's right yeah yeah there's only one way that you can get back from something like that, and that is to go back the next year mm -hmm. and to try and go one better, mm -hmm. and you did. We'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break, and we'll also talk about another thing that you've spoken about for 30-odd years now, and unfortunately it's going to be a, a painful thing to talk about, but I'm sure that you'll give us your approach to what happened then yep. and what has subsequently happened, as you've always done. Sure. Rod Grinter is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating lives, Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Good to have you with us. Rod Grinter is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. 1988 was a great year in lots of ways, but it didn't start that well. No, um, 88, obviously coming off the back of that disappointment that we just spoke about in 87. Um, uh, we trained really, really hard because we all wanted to get back to that position again to have a crack at playing in a grand final. And um, so everybody trained hard. Um, we come, I think it was round uh, round three um, out at out at Witten Oval. Um, 
uh, I was playing on a halfback flank, pumped as always to do well and uh, to insert myself on the game. And um, yeah, unfortunately there was a, an incident that I uh, collected Terry Wallace a little bit too high. Yes, you could say that. Um, <laughs> there was obviously a lot of consequences. Um, Terry was seriously injured. Yep. Did you set out to clock him? No, not at all. Um, I think the, the the disappointing part about that particular game and that incident, that there was only one camera at the ground and that camera was on the wing um, and the incident happened on the wing. So the vision of the incident just shows me coming into vision and basically coat hanging, coat hanging Terry. Um, but if you had have seen it from another angle or from behind me or in front of me, you would have seen that the balls come towards me. I've left my opponent uh, to, to attack the ball. I knew that somebody was on my right, but I didn't know who it was or how far close they were from me. Um, but I realised it was going to be a contest, so it wasn't just going to be an easy mark for me. So rather than me trying to attempt to mark the footy, I elected to sp- try and spoil the ball. Um, now, in that split second of me trying to spoil the ball, Terry's hands hit the ball, so I missed the ball by a whisker. But in the action that I was carrying out, which was one that I was, um, I had to get out of my game because it wasn't a... Um, an action that um, you know I could hurt myself or hurt somebody else, and that obviously is what happened with Terry. Um, so that coat hanger uh, action followed through and clocked him right on the right on the chin, at the lower part of his um, uh, mouth, um, and it was a classic coat hanger. He went um, he went down. Um, he had a lot of blood coming out of his mouth, and I'm standing on the mark because it was a free kick, obviously because it was high. Um, there was no, uh, there was no report. There was no remonstration from any Footscray players because it was in play. So if it was something that you would have seen or thought that it was outside of the game, which it was outside the rules, no doubt about that. But there would have been Footscray players jumping all over me, wanting to kill me. But that wasn't the case because it was in the play. It was just an accident. So I'm standing on the mark. I've got my hands on my hips. Terry's getting attended to, and the runner comes out to me. He says, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, I, I think you should come off just to settle down, settle things down because there might be, you know, the Footscray players might want to even up or whatever. And I said, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'll, I'll stay on and I want to keep going. You know, it's important, blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, I think you should come off. Have a look at your hand. So I looked down at my left hand, which was um, spread on my hips. And in between my thumb and my pointy finger... I had the a hole the size of a fifty cent piece in my in my hand. What happened post all that? It got badly infected, and I ended up in hospital for a week with a badly infected hand. As it turns out, you didn't play the next week, mm-hmm. and play I did. Yeah, which was amazing because the incident had removed the bottom row of teeth off Terry's jaw, which there was a lot of reports saying that Terry had broken his jaw, but that wasn't the case. Even though that would be pretty painful having the bottom row of teeth knocked off your jaw. So he had them just put back on his jaw and wired back onto his jaw. His jaw was fine, but it was just to keep his teeth back in place. So a courageous effort by him to be able to uh, get up a week later and play after that happening. And yeah, I'm, I'm sitting in hospital for the week. I want to ask you a few follow-up questions, if you don't mind. When you're standing there, you're standing on the mark and he's bleeding profusely. 
did you regret your action or did you think that it was just a footballing incident at the time? Yeah, look, if I, if I had have gone in with the intent to do what I did, I probably would have regretted it because it wasn't something that you do in a game of footy. I didn't mean to do it. So I'm standing there saying this is unfortunate that Terry's hurt and he has to get carried off, but play on for me. That's how I was thinking about it all. You said you weren't reported at the time, but subsequently there was an investigation mm-hmm. and you got multiple weeks. Yep. How did you feel about that? What happened was there was no report. Um, the uh, Channel 7, I think it might have been, um, kept replaying the incident, which looked ter- looked terrible um, because it was just from one angle. So the VFL, I think it was, the VFL, AFL, um, took action uh, and reported me by video. So it was trial by video. So I was the first um, official case to be heard uh, on a report via video. So we, I, the, that all happened, on, I think, on the Monday because this was being played on the Sunday and the Monday. So the Monday we get notified that I'm uh, reported via video. Uh, the tribunal normally sits on a Tuesday night. Well, I'm in hospital, so um, it gets delayed a week. So I miss a week through being injured with my hand and in the hospital, front up to the tribunal the following Tuesday and have a, a mammoth hearing. It went for bloody eight hours. Um, we had so many different people come in and so many different things. But unfortunately for me, um, I was found guilty of striking and got six weeks, missed six weeks. The other thing that happened, Rod, was that there was legal consequences. Mm. What happened there? Yeah, look, that was really disappointing because on the Sunday after it happened, I obviously had an infected hand, so I would go into the doctor on the Sunday because my hand was throbbing and I woke up in a in a cold sweat. And and David Flintoff, who played at Hawthorne, who knew Terry, um, was one of my teammates. So I rang up Dave and I said, Would, you wouldn't have Terry's phone number. So I ring Terry up and just touch base with me, answer the phone. This is on Sunday morning. And I apologised for what had happened. Um, I didn't mean to do it. You know, sorry, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, look, thanks very much. Appreciate your call. Um, you know, things happen on a footy field. So what happens on a footy field stays on a footy field. So we're all thumbs up. As time goes on, um, I think there may have been somebody got in Terry's ear and maybe thought that there was an opportunity here to do some, to, to make some money maybe. I don't know what his reason was. The, the Melbourne Football Club were being sued for playing me, if you can believe that, and I was sued for the damages. The case against the Melbourne Football Club was thrown out. They were trying to say that the reason they were suing the Melbourne Football Club was because they knew that I was a reckless player and they played me. <laughs> so, you know, um, and then my case was uh, for damages. While this was sort of progressing, we continue on with our life, and I ended up bumping into Plough at a nightclub, as you do on uh, back then. We'd all yeah. go out. And I said, well, mate, what are you doing? I thought everything was cool. And he goes, oh, I don't know how it happens at Melbourne, but uh, at Footscray, they don't pay the out-of-pocket. So if you've got your, your HBA or Booper or whatever it is, um, and there's an out-of-pocket, the footy club normally would fix that up. And he goes, so his reason to me was that they didn't, pay that out-of-pocket, and all I want to do is get my out-of-pockets covered. And I thought, oh, that's fair enough. No worries. So we ended up um, between lawyers, between my lawyers and his lawyers, we ended up settling on a, on a number, um, and that was the end of it. I can tell by the way you're talking about it that you're not 
completely happy with the way it all unfolded. Does that carry through until this day? Do you, do you have a relationship with Plough now? <clears throat> no, no. I, I, do you, you know, want I'm, one? No, no. I, I, I would always be polite. Uh, I, you know, if we if he walked in here and we crossed paths, I would say hello, and I'm sure he would say hello, but we wouldn't stop and have a chat. Um, and that's as far as I would go with it because I think that it, it just went too far uh, from my point of view in terms of what happened, what was said afterwards, and then what happened after the incident um, in terms of the suing and all that sort of stuff. I think he, he was just trying – and whether it was true or not about the out-of-pocket stuff, if it wasn't, you could sort of half um, half understand it. But, um, yeah, he still talks about it now that he's having issues with his teeth, which is all unfortunate. We all have things that we carry from our footy career. I've got a crook back at the moment um, that's given me hurry carry, but – that's just, that's life, you know. I've lost a couple of teeth myself playing footy, but I don't bring it up. And Terry's in the media, so he's he obviously gets the opportunity to air it more than other people, but um, I'd rather it just be left. And it happened, what, 33 years ago? Mm. It's a long time ago. One last point on this. Do you get pissed off by the likes of me asking you questions about it 30 years on? No, no, because that's something that people are interested in. They want to know my thoughts on it. And I'm sure that, you know, when Terry gets asked about it, his thoughts on it. Um, so no, I don't because it's, it's news and it's back at, back then it was massive. So people remember it, people recall it, people from Footscray, people from Melbourne recall it. So it's always good getting it from the horse's mouth rather than someone else. Let's put that aside. We'll take a break and then we'll come back and talk about better things. Grand finals. Mm -hmm. Because you were actually out there in two grand finals, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yes, we'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. Rod Grinter is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with Demon Rod Grinter on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Now, I mentioned before the break, two grand finals, 88. Great to play in a grand Mm -hmm. final, but not the result of... You were after that day. No, no. Look, uh, Hawthorne, that Essendon and Hawthorne during that period were awesome teams, and yeah, we came up against them obviously in '87. Hawthorne and, and they beat us. Carlton obviously won that '87 grand final, and then yeah, we we're fortunate enough to get there in um, in '88. But come coming up against Hawthorne, who were at the absolute peak, um, smashed us. And I said two grand finals. Mm-hmm. You were out there on the MCG on another grand final day, weren't you? But you weren't playing. No, and unfortunately it wasn't a winning one. Um, yeah, it was, it was my first year in 2000 as runner for Neil Danaher um, when Melbourne made the grand final and played against Essendon. Essendon won that one, unfortunately. So, yeah, so that was an experience for me. Uh, firstly, being asked to get involved again with the Melbourne Footy Club in a, in in an official capacity as runner. So it was it was sort of like you're playing without getting a kick or um, getting knocked over. You were out amongst it and you felt like you were actually contributing to the game. We can't 
touch on all of the things that you've done in your career, but just a couple of final questions. As a, a tough man out on the football field, who was the toughest opponent that you faced in your career? Just from a pure physical point of view, Ab- Gary Ablett Sr. was really difficult to stand. Um, just simply because of his strength, his pace, his unpredictability. You think you would have him covered and next minute he's standing on your head. At times I got to play on Greg Williams who they called him Diesel just because he just kept going. So chasing him around the footy ground was pretty tough. Mm. And final question, and I'm asking this with a bit of trepidation. <laughs> who gave you your nickname? Uh, two Melbourne senior Melbourne uh, footballers when I came down as a 17-year-old. So the footy club said they'd get me somewhere to live and get me a job. Um, they couldn't do either uh, when I first came down. So there was about six of us living at the Melbourne townhouse. Paul O'Brien and Scott Sutcliffe were playing senior football for Melbourne and they were both carpenters. And they were doing some work over at the MCG in our change room, Melbourne's change room. So Ray Manley, our uh, footy manager, said that you can go over and help them. So I go over there. Get introduced to them as Rodney Grinder from Katandri's playing in our under-19s. So they called, as they were working, they called each other knackers, cock, balls, digger, whatever. We trained at, or Melbourne trained at the MCG. So that night, all of the Melbourne players started to come to training. So Peter Moore would turn up, Peter Giles, Shane Zantuck, Robbie Flower, they'd all walk in and they'd say, g'day to Obi and Scotty, who's your mate? And they'd forgotten my name. So they said, ah, that's balls. Every time, so every time a player came in, they said, "Go to them. Who's your mate?" That's Balls. So my first introduction to the Melbourne senior team was Balls. So it stuck like glue. As I said, I asked it with trepidation. <laughs> Rod, it's been great to have you in. Uh, thanks for speaking so openly and honestly about a couple of things which are painful memories of your footy career, but you should also think about the good times over the decade as well and plenty of good times in footy. And now you can sit back, relax and yep. enjoy it all. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Pete. Rod Grinter joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Don't forget, find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back same time next week. I hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.